Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Mary Carrillo, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. So 11 French Open titles for the great Rafael Nadal. Catherine, how do I say 11 French Open titles in Spanish? I can't remember. Well, it's Onze, but I, I believe the the 11 equivalent of La Decima is La, la Onzima. Very imaginatively, yeah. Oh, is it? Right. Okay, so that we got that sorted. <laughs> okay, well, he's won 11. We know that. And, uh, and Rafael Nadal beat Dominic Team 6-4, 6-3, 6-2 today. I mean, those are the nuts and bolts of it, Catherine. And, you know, it was, a, what, two and a half hours just over that that he took to do it in. But, I mean, it, some of the numbers that were coming out during that match as it was going along I was listening on the radio and and our, our friend and colleague Philip Studd was was quoting things like 95 and 0 for 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 the record of Nadal on clay in best of five set matches when he's won the first set he's never lost a match over five sets if he's won the first set so poor old Dominic team who I don't know what you thought I thought he played pretty well yeah he played pretty well um he didn't play the match of his life and to even stand a chance of making it a match, he had to play the match of his life today. And unfortunately, he he didn't. It was decent. He has nothing to be ashamed of. But um, he was guilty of that thing that, that most opponents of utterly great dominant players are, of feeling like they have to do more, do that little bit more than is is natural to them and Dominic Team is a naturally pretty gutsy shot making player I mean very gutsy shot making player and yet still you know there's a couple of volleys come to mind in particular where he just went for too much you know just went for a a three euro shot rather than a two euro shot and you know feeling like oh my goodness I have to go for the line if not the outside of the line to get this away from Rafael Nadal and and that was kind of Perhaps not what cost him today. Perhaps he would have lost anyway. But that mindset of the panic of feeling like you're against somebody that, you know, that his reactions told you everything, didn't they? There were a couple of rallies where he just looked so powerless afterwards, where he was staring up to his box and his facial expression just said the words, what on earth can I do? 
Um, and perhaps there was nothing yeah. he could have done today. Very, very possibly there was nothing he could have done today. I tell you what, um, did you hear what Ken Rosewall, the absolutely delightful uh, Ken Rosewall, who's presenting the trophy, said about him in in uh, in his speech afterwards? He cast a bit of shade on Dominic Team. I don't know if you heard that, David. Uh, he, I think he said he didn't do too well or something, didn't he? He did. He said, uh, He said, well, I think we all would have liked a few more sets and I'm sure Dominic <laughs> will be disappointed with how he played today. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. uh, you know... Ken I th- Rosewall I think... there, the delightful Ken Rosewall. Well, he's a, he is a lovely fellow, is Ken. Uh, oh, but he is. He is. A down-to-earth he's, Aussie. He's, I mean, he's, he's, he's such a He's the surrogate gent. grandpa everyone wants, yeah. Yeah, everybody loves him. But, I mean, look, yeah, that was pretty blunt. But I also think you've got to cut the... I mean, people were saying, oh, you know, it's terrible that he said that. Well, first of all, it was a straight sets defeat. You know, I don't know how many Ken had of those in his day, but um, I'm sure he had a, a few, but... You know, he called it as he saw it, and at the same time, you know, it's it's it is a it's not that easy to stand out there and make a, a speech and say all these things. He's you know he doesn't do that much of that sort of thing these days. Uh, so I think cut him cut him a break, uh, Ken Rosewell, uh, who's eighty years oh, of age. Oh yeah, no, I I personally I thought it was fine, uh, but it, it certainly uh, it certainly was something that was commented upon. I mean, I think he's right. We all did want a lot more sets of it as much yes. as. The match was more competitive than the scoreline made out. Let's be honest, the second Dominic team got broken to lose that first set. We all knew. We all knew those stats that you quoted at the start, David. They all started circulating on Twitter. We could all see how well Nadal was playing and as evidenced by him losing serve at the most crucial moment, at the moment when the pressure was most on, that told you that Dominic team wasn't up to the monumental mental task at hand for him today. And we all knew everybody, everybody's balloon was popped at that stage. Um, that's not to say that any, any appreciation of Rafael Nadal was dulled at all, but tennis fans, I think always want a good tennis match. And that was the moment when you knew that we Almost certainly weren't going to get that. And, uh, you know, Ken Rosewall's obviously a, a tennis fan like the rest of us. Well, and I think that what it just highlights again is Nadal's ability to just keep on bringing it. At no point until he got the the slight physical issue later on in the, in the third set, which we'll talk about, and, and the break points right at the end, there was never a moment I thought that... He is not going to deliver here, Nadal. You, you might be able to do something to stop him if you are <laughs> if you are just playing out your mind. But he isn't going to falter. He's going to keep on coming. He's going to keep on bringing it just the way he's won 10 of those titles before because he knows what's at stake and he knows what to do. And he also just has this innate ability to just separate every point and go for it. I, I just... I've never seen anybody like it uh, who's able to compartmentalise quite like he can in that way and put disappointment behind him and crack on and move forwards. And and his game, I mean, I'd, I'm not a player, I'm not a coach, but it looks as good, if not better than ever to me, the, the sheer nuts and bolts of his game, what he can do out there. And, it, and even even when he turned it around at the end and he started playing slightly different tactics to shorten points, he can do so much. Yeah, I agree, David. 
I'm not sure there'll ever be a, a way to scientifically measure which Rafael Nadal is the best Rafael Nadal, but this one certainly seems as good um, as ever before. And you know, as Max Verlande was saying in the Eurosport commentary, there are he really has added to his game. There are some. There are some instances where he rifles his backhand cross court and, you know, Rafael Nadal, if days gone by, would have run run round that backhand and muscled his muscles his lefty forehand inside out. And of course he can still do that, but he doesn't feel that he needs to because his backhand is good enough. Um yeah, I I I think he's I feel confident that he's as good as he's ever been and uh yeah, I, I think, I mean, it, uh, you hear tennis players, David, talk about staying present, not just tennis players, sports people, a lot. And my eyes do glaze over a bit and I do feel like I'm sort of listening to a yoga person talk about um, quinoa. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I do just glaze over a bit and go, oh my goodness, uh, this isn't, you know, how normal grounded uh, human beings talk, but... When I see Rafael Nadal doing mentally what he did today and what he does every day, I mean, that's the whole point, isn't it? That there is never a let up. They're just taking all the cliches, David, taking every shot as it comes, being completely oblivious, seemingly, to what the scoreboard is. I mean, I suppose that is what they all mean when they refer to staying present and... uh, Everyone talks a good game about it, but there are there I don't believe there's anybody that exemplifies that like Rafael Nadal. I really don't. Uh, that having been said, uh, Mats Verlander did say as well in commentary that he felt that what Nadal ha- had added to his game, there is a recognition of certain points in a match that he maybe needs to, I don't know, maybe approach them even a little differently just, just so that he... he has a better chance of winning them, um, which he believes he's developed over the years. The th- the, the third set I, I alluded to, halfway through, in fact, halfway through a game, Nadal went to the chair, said, I've got an issue here uh, on his hand, and it, it then he then had some treatment between the games. Um, and, well, the assumption was then that this is cramp, and and he's he, he's basically he said I can't feel my finger and and he he later said I think that he felt that the circulation was cut off into his hand because of the the tightness of the straps around his wrists to keep the sweat away, um, which which I can I can kind of believe could could be the case could be what it was rather than cramp because what was worrying if it is cramp is that. And it was an incredibly hot day, wasn't it? Really humid, and he was sweating buckets out there. And the the the, the fear was that if he's cramping in his fingers, that that could spread to other parts of his body. And you know, he might be in some sort of peril, even though he's two sets and a break up. Yeah, I mean, there's there's uh, a lot of stuff at play here, David. I mean, first and foremost, from what I've seen, I've seen the replays of it. It looked like cramp to me. The way he was moving his hand, that sort of jerky. Um, sort of uh, um, slightly disassociated style of movement. It it very much looked like cramp to me. Um, and yet yeah, strictly, strictly, David, within the rules, you are not permitted to to receive treatment for cramp. Now, there's a separate, separate argument and, and uh, Annabelle Croft and Greg Rosetsky and Rob Curling very much had this debate uh, in the Eurosport coverage after the match about whether that's a rule that, 
that should be in place. Um, I mean, the reason for, for that rule is that cramp is is considered a, a lack of conditioning or a symptom of lack of conditioning, and that's why you shouldn't be permitted to uh, uh, to receive medical treatment for it during a match. Now, I I don't. I would have to probably seek more medical evidence before I made up my mind. But I certainly think there are examples of incredibly physically fit players that were just prone to cramp. I do think. Some players are more prone to cramp than others. Pat Rafter is the one that immediately springs to mind. He used yes. to cramp all the time, and he was as as fit as they come. Well, um, then look at Nadal. So, I mean, he's the fittest player we've probably ever seen. One of them, anyway. Exactly, and probably, probably today's incident was evidence in itself of why that rule, perhaps at the most extreme, shouldn't stand, and and, and the least extreme should be re-examined. However, the rule does stand, and I believe you know to the letter of it, he probably shouldn't have been able to do what he did today. However, the sort of analysis as to did he only get away with it because he's Rafael Nadal? Well, I don't know. You know, I can think of instances of, if you like, lesser players, lesser players in terms of status getting away with that. I mean, Elise Cornet here in Paris, uh, a what turned out to be quite a controversial match, first round match, I believe, against Tatiana Maria of Germany. I think it was three years ago, David. Um, Elise Cornet was very clearly cramping and she called the trainer on and she received treatment for that, but she never used the word cramp. Um, she just said, oh, you know, my muscles aching or whatever she whatever she would have said because she never used the word cramp. She was able to receive treatment for it, even though it was patently obvious she was. And and the reason it was attention was drawn to it was because Tatiana Maria had a whole lot of stuff to say about this incident in the match afterwards. Um, And she was she was threatening to sue all sorts of people. Tatiana Maria incidentally went on to lose this match um, and yeah she was threatening to do all sorts of suing which I don't think came to fruition but she thinks she in in the moment she felt she was the vic- victim of an abuse of the law or a failure to, to implement the the rules and regulations uh, appropriately by the powers that be so that is just one example of of a lesser player um, um, not technically behaving uh, within the letter of the law and look it, it's it's not for Rafael Nadal to enforce the rules um, it's for those around him to enforce the rules so and everybody you may have a rule book but you've got human beings in charge of implementing those rules at a given time and they're all going to have different interpretations about when to pull the trigger aren't they um, and yeah it's not an exact science as well, a result of that yeah and I get I mean I guess that's another argument against having this cramp rule that it seems to be so easy to circumvent. I mean, basically, it seems to be if you don't use the word cramp, then it's fine. There are ways of describing cramp without using the word cramp. Um, I mean, that's a fairly simple way to to circumvent the rule. So that seems a pretty simple argument against that rule standing. And it doesn't seem to me to be a rule that is sensitive enough to the nuances of of people's physiology and and, and the the different varieties of, of fitness that people can have. But but I mean that's for medical professionals greater than me, uh, David, to determine. As much mm. as I would love to do Catherine Whitaker's medical corner, um, once again, you know how you know how I 
<laughs> I love to state confid- confidently medical facts that I have absolutely no jurisdiction over. Yes, I do. Um, Me too. Yeah, it, it. But you know, the the same. The what, what stage in the match? I think it was late in the second set that Rafael Nadal received a a, a warning for for time taken yes. between points. Now, what what is that? Is that a cumulative warning because he was taking that amount of time throughout the match? So, what are you saying? Are you saying that it's sort of a you know like a like a yellow card in football that's sort of a a, a soft yellow card, but it's as a result of sort of cumulative. Um, not quite yellow card offences um, being sort of bundled into to one one yellow card. I, d- I don't know. I mean, it's 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 this sort of it's the flexible and variable interpretations of the rules, which I think leave people feeling a little bit miffed. Yeah, it's a tricky um, one, isn't it? And uh, it is a tricky one. But look, the fact is, I. I will never know 100%, but 99.9%, it didn't affect the the course of the match. No, I, d- it, I don't think it did. And it was interesting at the end, I talked about the, the, the multiple match points he had. He had 40 love in that final game and, and team really took it to him at that point. And Nadal, well, he was tightening a bit and you saw it all spill out, I think, in that trophy presentation. We, we were talking yesterday when Simona Halep won her title about the feeling of emptiness that can come over a player or or anybody who achieves something that they've spent so long trying to achieve. Now, obviously, a different situation for Nadal. It's the 11th time he's done this. But I felt that you could see in his face there just how much this takes out of him to keep doing it, not just physically, more mentally, more emotionally, to dominate the way he's dominated that tournament and and, and the way we just assume it'll happen. Well, it, it, it isn't like that. He has to put in so much to to be doing what he's doing. It is not normal. We treat it as normal because it's him. That's not fair. He he, he was really showing the strain there in that trophy presentation and it all just came gushing out in the tears, I felt. Yeah, he creates his own normal, absolutely. And we do completely take it for granted. You know, there was... Let's be honest. There was there was a there was a flat atmosphere, um, you know, throughout the sort of third set, and uh, there, there was a, 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 an immensely respectful atmosphere, without question, respectful and celebratory to an extent, but it was also a little bit flat because all that had happened today was everything we expected to happen today, and you know, every day since the clay court season started, it was a. There was a, just a hint of shrugging and going, oh, okay, well, he's done what what he ought to have done. Um, and that's not fair on Rafael Nadal. That That's too reductive. It, a lot more goes into it than, than we often give him credit for because he makes it look so... Obviously, he doesn't make it look physically effort, effortless. He's a very effortful player. But it, that, that relentlessness, that... the, the the physical examination that he undergoes, he makes that look easy. He makes it look like it's second nature. And and I think you used the word innate earlier, David, and I'm sure an element of it is innate, but but a whole lot else is is learned and worked for. And um, we, we can expect it, and I think it's a compliment to him to expect it, but we shouldn't take it for granted. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. So he wins the title. Dominic Team has had his first French Open final. I, I read a couple of interesting things uh, throughout the afternoon. One, one, an interview with Gunter Bresnik by Chris Clary in the New York Times, who who kind of tried to get to the bottom of this playing every week thing that we're always talking about with Dominic Team, and who is really, you know, he's thrown that back in our faces this fortnight by achieving what he set out to achieve or at least very nearly, he got to the final, and he won Leon the week before. So Chris Clare is asking him, "What you know? Why why does he do this? Why does he play all the time?" And Gunter Bresnik said, "Everybody calls me an idiot, maybe for good reason." But he says, "But I like this. I'm really happy to prove people wrong because everybody who, who practiced the week or ten days before Roland Garros instead of playing a tournament, they're already at home for a week." He said, "Dominic played four matches in Leon, came here Saturday at night with the train, practiced the next day, and played on Monday." People said it's stupid; he's not going to last. But my idea behind this is that people that to prepare people for handling high pressure physically and mentally, you have to put them under pressure, well dosed, not too much, not too little, but you have to put them under pressure. So that's what Gunter Bresnik um, is is getting him doing this for, which is well, it's probably what I thought was the case. But uh, but it's interesting to actually hear it from the horse's mouth, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and uh, I I certainly think physically that has unquestionably worked. I mean, he didn't lose today; he didn't lose lose this French Open because he wasn't up to it physically, with, without question. Um, m- mentally. Uh, he wasn't up to the challenge today. Um, and it's the biggest challenge in tennis, if not sport at the moment. So that's not to that's not to do Dominic team down. You know, nobody else is up to that challenge either. However, let's you know, let's be honest about it. Mentally he wasn't up to the challenge today. Um, so that I guess slightly remains to be seen. And I do think there's a the, there is sort of kind of 
two different conversations with Dominic Team. There's the clay court conversation and there's the rest of it, you know, because, okay, maybe maybe that particular policy works in isolation on the clay, but and and his results over certainly the past three years would back that up outside of the clay that's not been the case at all his his results outside of clay have disappointed without question and if he wants to if he, if he considers himself and wants to be a clay court specialist then fair enough but i think he's too good to think of himself in that way far far too good um so i'd like to see him make some adjustments in order to be as good as he can be on other surfaces because I love to watch him play. And yeah. he was so classy in defeat today. He stayed and signed all the autographs on the court. I loved how, makes me sound like a a real uh, a real sadist, but I loved how upset he was, how clearly upset he was. He wants this desperately. He poured everything into today. He absolutely poured everything into it. Um, and he... Frank, he came up short. He'll, he'll get there, won't he? He, I think he will get there. Whether he has to wait for Nadal to drop off or or go away completely before he gets there, I don't know. That could be the case. Um, he's young enough that he can afford to do that. Um, whether he will beat Rafael Nadal fair and square um, on the Philippe Chatrier court, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Well, it's a big ask. <laughs> Only two people in history. There's one of the other stats that Phil Stud came up with. Two matches in 13 years Nadal has lost on that court. I mean, it is bonkers, isn't it? Sodling and Djokovic, only men ever to beat him on that court. But anyway, he's won his 11th Roland Garros title. It sounds absurd. It is absurd. But congratulations, Rafael Nadal. Now, the uh, other results from Paris of note, uh, just to cover them quickly, the mixed doubles was won by Chan and Dodig. The uh, the men's doubles was won yesterday. Fantastic scenes with the home players, Nicolas Mahou and uh, Pierre Ugabert winning the title against uh, Marac and Pavic, wasn't it? Um, and, and just wonderful scenes with Mahou's um, son coming on and dancing with him at the end, but they're lovely fellas, aren't they? And we, we've we've had a few dealings with them at Queens, where they've won the title. They'll be back there as well at the Fever Tree Championships in the doubles uh, in, in a week's time. They always come every year. Remember Mo reaching the final of Queens in the in the singles eleven years ago, but but that was a great story. Uh, and then in the women's doubles, we had today Krychkova and Siniakova, the Czech pair, winning six three six three in the final against Hazumi and Nonomaya. Uh, of Japan. So those are the the main headline results from Roland Garros. Now a little another bit of news that we've had uh, Catherine overnight certainly reports are about the health of Andy Murray which uh, apparently appears to be improving somewhat or at least he's been reported as having practiced and, and looking a good bit better. I mean whether whether it will come too soon for him to play Queens, you know he certainly intends to try to play, but whether he's able to I think we'll find out in the next few days. But isn't it nice to at least get a a bit of good news about the bloke? Yeah, it is. It is. It was re- I was very pleased to wake up to that this morning. I I I have no desire to poo-poo it at all. I desperately uh want them to be accurate. However, I did read them slightly tinged with the the thing that you and I always say, David, of of unless it's come actually from the Murray camp and Murray saying, I feel good in practice, I feel like I can make a comeback and, and compete with the top players, some it, it, the sources 
from what I was reading today, it seemed to be people watching him in practice. And as we often discuss, I don't know how much you can read from watching somebody in practice. I really don't. Unless it's, you know, his coach, unless it's Jamie Delgado watching him in practice. And I I somehow doubt Jamie Delgado's the source. But hey, there have been plenty of negative reports as a result of, of... anonymous sources watching him in practice so well, exactly. i'm perfectly happy to to have the reverse and i i desperately hope uh, that the reports are accurate yeah yeah we'll see how, how that unfolds over the next few days another little story that reared its head uh, today now this is somewhat speculative because th- there's no confirmation of this at all but but roger federer uh, and his clothing sponsor might be at an end the rumors tell us i think us. you can say uh, say i think you need to name name the parties involved David. nike nike and roger federer who've been together since he uh, was well first started playing i remember when i first met him when he was 16 he was wearing the little tick on his shirt and uh, and the rumors are that he might be signing a 10-year deal with uh, how do i say uniquely uniquely Uniqlo, yeah. yeah they do yeah. great jeans, great jeans. Oh, do they? Um, well, no, no yeah, doubt that's why do. he's interested. I uh, I have to say, David, this is close to... If, if Rafael Nadal hadn't done something pretty cool today, this would be <laughs> close to the biggest news of the day. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe what I was reading there. I still think, uh, you know, I had to check the date that it was in April Fool's. To, to be clear, that... RF logo that I think everybody listening will be able to conjure in their minds. That is owned by Nike. That yes. trademark, that image is owned by Nike. So if Roger Federer jumps ship, that that logo won't be going with him. And He'll presumably Nike version. will own the rights to sort of continue trading off the RF brand because they own that that logo, well, trading off him without actually having the the... The, the rights to to dress him uh, i'd give a little bit of caution here because darren Ravel, who's a business reporter for espn in the states has said that that at this stage there is no official split between federer and nike uh that relations at the moment are not good uh, obviously that they're, they're i think the contract uh, expired in march earlier this year but it, i mean you know this these reports could easily be a negotiating move could be they a power could v- play couldn't it yeah yeah you could imagine it, couldn't you? It happens in you football all the time. You know, somebody, you know, tries to get out into the press that they might have been talking or the might be interested in talking to another club and then suddenly they get a better offer on the table, you know? Yeah, it's a, it certainly could be. But, I mean, things must have gone awfully sour for it to have got to this stage, for it to be a, a company that he's had, what, a 20-year relationship with? Or somebody's asking for a lot of money or a massive cut in <laughs> how much they Who might be asking for a lot of money, David? Oh, some agent, I would suspect. Uh, but also, it could easily be that Nike is saying, right, well, you're, you're 37 now or 36. We're, we're not going to pay you as much anymore. You Can know? you imagine, David, the sum of money being talked about here? Because I, I, I remember in the 90s hearing about Andre Agassi having a $100 million nike deal over 10 years so essentially 10 million dollars a year and that was andre agassi who was huge obviously uh but no roger federer i think in terms of global global brand roger federer transcends pretty much everybody you know in a in a tiger woods pre-scandal category um 
So, yeah, and that was in the 90s as well. So adjust for inflation and for federalflation. And I I cannot imagine. The two speculative figures that I've read today, Catherine, uh, what one speculative figure I've read was $30 million and another one was $300 million. So $30 million uh, over what period? There's no way. Ten years. There's no way this isn't a figure that involves two <laughs> zeros. Years. Ten years, he's going to be playing when he's 47. Brilliant. Um, well, hang but- on. I mean, we know these deals are uh, actually wearing the kit on the tennis court is a a fraction of, of what the deal actually entails. Um, Indeed. So, but I mean, there is absolutely no. I mean, they would sign that. You know, they would sign David Law for thirty million. That's they- pocket money. Oh right. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's fine. I-, there, I mean, this involves minimum two zeros. Can, can we just go back to the them definitely signing me for thirty million? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean so, they're flinging they're flinging checks for thirty million around left, right, and centre, right. David. Okay, so what sure do I have to do it. for it? I mean. Get, I'm, get I'm quite a happy to bit better at tennis, probably. Discontinue the tennis just, podcast just here bit. and now if they're checking 30 million around. It's fine. Look, uh, look better in cardigans. Right. That could be a problem. <laughs> uh, I'll work on it. Um, all right. Fine. Well, anyway, so that's, uh, that's Roger Federer's uh, clothing situation update. We'll, we'll keep you informed on that when we get more. Um, uh, slightly rather significantly more sober news uh, over the last 24 hours in that the three-time Wimbledon champion and four-time US Open singles champion Maria Bueno passed away yesterday, aged 78. She won 19 major titles overall when you factor in the doubles as well. And in 1960, she became the first woman ever to win all four Grand Slam doubles titles in the same year. So a great champion and she'll be much missed in tennis. We, we, we've had a, a lovely note sent to us by Mary Carillo who who appeared on the show a couple of days ago sending us a tribute video that she'd done an obituary and it really is something so go to the tennis channel twitter feed and you'll be able to watch that couple of minutes of Mary talking about somebody who was a real hero for her in Maria Bueno who very sadly passed away yesterday so Catherine um you're just about done I think aren't you one more cheese board one more sleep and back home one more sleep than sunny London. Well, travel well, Catherine. You've done a sterling job. 16 editions of the tennis podcast every single day. You've done a brilliant job. Well done. Come home. We'll do some more from Queens. We'll do them every day there. We'll do them every day at Wimbledon for you. Hope you've enjoyed them. They've been brought to you in association with The Telegraph. Go and read Simon Briggs's pieces overnight. He'll have loads to, to have written about uh, on the last couple of days and leading into Queens and Wimbledon, of course. We've been executive produced by Melody Bowes, by Triple S, by TennisBalls.com. Our official mascot is Charlie the Ferret. We're sponsored by the Manga Club. Don't forget to enter Tennis Podcast Aways. Leave us a review if you've enjoyed these 16 daily shows, and we'll speak to you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm-hmm. 